Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. Good morning. Trying it again there, so good morning. It's uh, New Year, January, start of all that stuff. Um, it's sort of a preacher's right to sort of mention the fact that it's a new year. I'm not going to overplay it, but um, I just want to sort of, sort of acknowledge that. What happens in my head is I sort of reflect on the year before, 2019, and I reflect on it in a number of ways. I reflect on it spiritually. I reflect on it in my home and in my world. I reflect on it in my own personal disciplines and all of those things, but I also reflect on it in a cultural sense. And whenever I've looked at 2019, I have realized that 2019, for me, I can't remember a year that had so many seismic shifts. It was like these moments that sort of propelled everything else forward. It just changed everything. Um, Veganism, 2019. You know, when I was growing up, if you were like that way inclined, you were the guy that hugged trees and had no friends. It was just... It was just taken for granted. But something shifted in 2019 that we now have, well, McDonald's has pledged to have like veggie bites on their menu forever. Now that's a shift. Now there's a few in the room there quietly clapping and applauding those things. God bless you. And I even saw an advert for KFC. Now Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now you just got to get that out there. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Not Kentucky Fried Burger that looks like chicken but is not really chicken. And there you go. There you have it. And these seismic shifts. This year I saw phrases change the conversation of the world. I'm not going to try the accent but I'm just going to say it to you. You are destroying my childhood. Throwing it out there. Let us settle. Greta. You are destroying my, you are destroying my childhood. That quote, now I'm not sure it's accurate, but again, it's the year of fake news. I'm not sure it was true, and I'm not sure it's true that I have destroyed her childhood, but it changed the conversation. And all of a sudden you had walkouts of school, not that that takes much to convince a load of pupils to walk out of their school, but... But you had walkouts of school in the name of the environment. You had everybody conversation and changing. And even this week in the kitchen here in this church, I had some of our older members challenge me about our recycling policy of the church. Thanks, Greta. But it's amazing how a moment can change the story of tomorrow. Now, for me, I I just have to throw it out there, but one of the game changers for me was the end game changer of, quote, Tony Stark's daughter, I love you 3,000. Throwing that out there for the five people in the room who understand. Just putting it out there. Baby Yoda, politics, Boris and Trump happened. Yeah, there's a whole lot of confusion going on out there. That uncomfortable moment that became the story and the narrative when Bradley Cooper at the 2019 Oscars slid up beside Lady Gaga in front of the love of his life and looked in her eyes instead of the love of his life's eyes. And in the sha-la-la-la-la-la. Now, why, why emphasize these things? Because I have never before seen how that a moment can not just change the conversation of a few, but can change the conversation of everyone. The power of a moment to change the story. 
And well, we are living in moments. And the reality is that you and I, our choices that we make today, not because it's a new year, not because it's a start of something or a new season, but the reality is that the choices you and I make today will dictate the story of tomorrow. The narrative will change because of our choices, but not only the story of tomorrow, but the reality is the choices we make today in this season will change the story of your future. And not just your future, but the future of many generations and decades to come are written in your choices today, in my choices today. You see, we are, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are people who believe in a kingdom that when it comes, changes everything, changes the story, changes the narrative, changes destinies, changes the decades, and changes uh, the generations. There is something about when the kingdom of God comes, but, but the question always comes back to, what will we do? What will we pay? What will we be prepared to count the cost for in order to see this change come? See, yes, we have celebrated the amazing grace of God, but the amazing grace of God has included us in the amazing plans of God. And we have to then step up to those plans. And that's the challenge. Are we prepared to count the cost, drop what's needed, take up our cross and follow him? No, pray like it matters and fight the good fight and seek God's kingdom first. I want to read this morning from Judges and we're going to, get there, Judges chapter 10, and we're going to read um, verses 6 to 16, and this is the conversation that I, I want to say to you that we are part of something I believe really special. There are four other churches in our city today that are reading these same portions of scripture and preaching from this title, that a people would awake and pray for the sake of a nation. That a people would awake and pray for the sake of a nation. Judges chapter 10 and verses 6. And we're going to read verse 16. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Just hit the word again. No, it's a cycle. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead and the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. So Israel, the people of God are in great distress, not because of God, but because of their choice. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, after 18 years, we have sinned against you forsaking our God and serving the Baals. And the Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Moanites oppressed you and cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? Have we not been here before? But you have forsaken me and served all other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, okay, we have sinned. 
Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us. Then they got rid of their foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could no longer bear Israel's misery. He could no longer bear Israel's misery. When we read through the book of Judges, what I want to say first is that whenever we think of the word judge, no, don't be thinking of like Judge Judy or Rinder or no, it's one of these guys that sits behind a bench and throws down the hammer and brings that legal sentence. That's not what's being seen here. We understand that the phrase here for judges can also be translated as a savior, a deliverer, a rescuer, somebody who comes. So when we think of judges, we think of people who were supposed to rise up under the anointing and the power of God and how they lived, how they acted, how they related to God, their father in heaven, would inspire a single person, a nation to rise up and love God. That was the purpose of the judges, not to come with the hammer, but to come and inspire through the anointing of God how to live a life for God. When we talk about the judges, think of a rescuer, think of a judge, not as someone who comes to bring a sentence, but someone who comes to serve you back into a relationship. Not religion, but relationship. The context of Judges, we read in Judges 17 and Judges 25, is that they had no king, so they just did whatever they wanted in their own eyes. That's the context. They just did whatever felt right, whatever they thought was right, whatever, no, if it feels good to me, I'm just going to do it. No, no consequences, don't really care about that. I will do what suits me. I am up for it. So at the start of this conversation, I want to say to you that When we look at the story of the children of Israel, they are going down. But in the kingdom of God, whatever goes down through the power of God can come back up. That is the comeback kingdom of God. Now we live in a culture where we have natural laws. Whatever goes up must come down. But we live in a supernatural culture of the kingdom of God that whatever goes down by the grace and the power of God can come back up. And this is the story that we hit here. We had a story of a coming down and a sleep, a people who are on their knees in their relationship with God. And the question is, do we believe? I want to ask every one of you, no, I could stop the question there, just do we believe? But do we believe that no matter how low something gets, that God can bring it back up. That if something can go to the depths of the ocean, it can still rise up into the fullness of a grace of God and into relationship with God. Do we we really believe those things? You see, at the start of a new year, whenever you're hitting into a new season and you're looking at your family and it's going down the sinkhole, it's going down the rabbit hole and you're looking at it going, it's just going nowhere. It's just dying before me. Do we believe that God still has that resurrection power to bring it back to life? Do we look at our marriages? Do we look at our city around us? Do we look at the suicide rate in our city? Do we look at the depression, the worst in the UK? Some say the worst in Europe. Do we believe that no matter how far down our city goes, that there is a name that is still above every other name that when called upon can raise us up? You see, that's that's the question that we need to answer. Do we still believe That no matter how low it goes, that in the power of God, it is still salvageable 
to the highest place. We believe. See, society needs to be saturated, influenced by the kingdom of God. And that is our responsibility. Like salt, do we believe that God can make the spiritual mouths and lips and tongues of the, of the city thirsty? Like light, do we believe that God can, can go into the darkness and, and just explode kingdom color everywhere? In that little street that we walk down in our minds, that street of worry. I don't know about you, but I have one in here. I try not to go near it most of the time, but when I do, it's got a weird way of going like this. But do we believe those things that we're worrying about? That God can bring them up? The image here is the image, well, for me, I started to think of Barry's in Portrush. Some of you will be familiar with it. If you haven't been there, it's for sale. You may never get there. And honestly, you think Disney World's good? It's got nothing on Barry's. And so you go to Barry's. Before you even go in through the doors, there's a ride there called the Helter Skelter. And honestly, I think like Moses and Noah all had a go on it. It's been there forever and forever. And what happens is you get these mats. And I don't know what they're made of, like horsehair or something. And they're like sort of tied together. And, and you climb up these steps. And with every step, you're getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And with every step, the view's becoming more beautiful, further. It's, it's like you get to see a whole lot more. And then you get to the top of the steps. You put these mats on this wooden slide thing. You're going to get burned. You're going to wreck yourself. You're going to do all those things. But it's good, and you jump on, and you jump on the mat, and you go down to the bottom. And if you're lucky, the person at the bottom hasn't got out of the way in time, and you crash into them. It's all good. Helter-skelter. And you see, this is the picture of the children of Israel, but it's also the picture of the church. That God has this amazing way of bringing us up to the higher places, increasing our faith and our perspective, allowing us to see what is possible. But we have this way of just jumping on the mat and going, whoa. And these guys just wanted to keep going down. When we come to the book of Judges, each judge is a mirrored picture of what is going on with the children of Israel or the people of God at that time. It helps you understand the people. So we have Othniel, who's the first judge, and he's good. And so the people of God are good. We have Ehud. Well, it's funny. I just want to say Ehud is good, because for some reason. Um, Ehud is good. He's good. So it just helps you stick in your head right about there. He's good. So the children of Israel are good. Uh, and then as you keep going through this, you see, you hit like Bar Barak and, well, he doesn't want to obey God. He doesn't want to step up. And it turns out, well, the people of God don't really want to step up. You keep going through, you get to Gideon. Gideon, well, he just wants to make an idol for himself. He doesn't want to be faithful to God. He's prepared to cheat on the love of his life for a quick fix and lose that relationship with God. That, that's Gideon. And equally, that's the people of God. They're prepared to prostitute themselves, to sell themselves out, to sleep around with other gods and lose the love of their lives. That's, that's the conversation. And then eventually we get to Samson. And Samson is like the grudge judge. No, he's like, you did what? Let's kill everyone. No, 
That's Samson. Samson is, no, I am going to seek these incredible spiritual highs, but I am going to live a complete moral low. And which season is our church in? I'm not talking about UT. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. Spiritual highs, but an incredibly moral low. And we're going to take on the devil, but we're also going to sleep around with other cultures and other gods. I'm just throwing out the questions, but these judges murdered the people of God. Now, the cycle works a bit like this. You have um, the, the people of God who are, well, Sharon, come and help me here, because honestly... If I wrap a blanket around me now, you think I'm sweating at the moment. It's not going to happen. So I want you to see something. So this is how the cycle works. I want you to imagine a winter's night. So it's cold. It's, it's dark outside. You've done your nine hours at work and you're coming in through the door. The fire's lit and you're thinking, I'm just going to cozy up on the sofa with a little blanket. And so what do you want you to imagine is the people of God, the covering they have in their life brings so much comfort. It brings so much peace and security. It makes them feel warm. It feels, makes them feel secure. It makes them feel like they are impenetrable and, and, and they are in this unique relationship with the true and the living God. And that's how the cycle starts. And then what happens is, well, something that once brought comfort becomes like uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I don't like that heat anymore. I don't like that feeling anymore. I don't like that restriction anymore. And, and what happens is we just throw aside our covering. And the people of God threw aside their covering. And what they did is said, well, I'm no longer going to trust God. I'm going to trust myself. But what happens in this moment is you see that all of a sudden the people of God are unprotected. All of a sudden the people of God are just open to attacks from all around them, culturally, other gods, from, from invaders, from people who'll come from all their politi pol political powers and kingdoms, and they will come and they will invade because this, the children of God are no longer safe and secure. And so they become invaded. And well, for in this instance, they, this lasted for 18 years. And, and then what happens in that moment? They go through all of this. They realize they're not a very good king of themselves. In fact, the kingdoms that they thought were so good and so wonderful, all of a sudden they realize that they are more selfish than they are themselves. All their interests are for themselves. They will take everything from you and leave you dead. And then the people of God start to cry out to God. God, would you restore our relationship? Would you restore our covering? Would you restore that special, unique calling that you've brought us into? God, would you come and would you rescue us? God hears their cries. God restores. It's okay. It's okay. It's warm in here. God restores. The land finds peace and God's name is glorified. And this is the picture of the cycle. In the middle of this, there is somebody who realizes that this is not how it's meant to be. There is so much more. And they look around, they call out the culture for what it is, and they cry out to God. 
See, if we truly believe that what has gone down can come up in the name above all other names, then somebody has to call it out for what it is and pray. There's no other way. The way is that we pray. And we come before God and we cry out on behalf of those who will not cry out for themselves. We cry out for ourselves. God, would you awaken us? And if you awaken enough of us, would you awaken a nation? That's the prayer. The second thing I want to say is that um, the problem with the people of Israel is the problem that was always with every follower of God, follower of Jesus Christ, is this problem is called sin. Now, I know we live under a different covenant than what was going on in the Old Testament. No, the Old Testament was based on, if I keep my end, God will keep his end. I live in a new covenant where God will keep his end, and I just trust him to do that. Uh, And that's an amazing thing. But what I want to say to you is this, and we've sang about God's amazing grace. You have to understand that the presence of God's grace is a revelation of his love, not an acceptance of your sin. Do you get it? So when you know God's there, when you know God's forgiven you, when you know all of those things that God's close, God's grace is a revelation of his love. It's an expression of his love towards you, but it is never an acceptance of your sin or my sin. See, God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament still hates sin. That's just how it goes because he knows the outcome. He knows the damage that it does. When we read through this um, God mentions these nations, these seven nations that surrounded uh, the people of Israel. There were nations around them. Uh, and how that they had, no, gone over to their gods, gone over to their cultures and all of those things. And we read in Deuteronomy 7 that God gives them a way of dealing with this moment. And he tells them to smash the altars He tells them to cut down the trees that represent other gods. He tells them to burn the idols. The picture there is like gold, silver, bronze idols. To melt them and destroy them. Not to melt them down and make them into something new, but to destroy them. And the picture here is that God is saying that the things that have taken you away from me, you got to deal with them in such a way that there's no way back to them. Because that's repentance. See, repentance isn't God, I'm sorry. God, I've got myself into this one. God, no. Like, uh, you know, I'm here, I'm again. And, and, and God, I know you'll forgive me. It's like you log on 24 hours later, whack, forgiveness comes and you feel all good about yourself. That's not repentance. Repentance is where you're so determined to leave behind the things that keep you from God that you destroy them, shatter them, wipe them out of your life in such a way that you can never go back. You just can't reshape them. No, pride is the obvious one of those. No, I've seen loads of people in life, and perhaps I've been one of those people in life where I've gone, I don't need God. I've got myself. And well, that pride, God in me, can easily become, oh, look at me. Look how much I now depend on God publicly. And it's still pride. But unless I deal with the pride, it'll always be a God in my life. And so we have to be prepared in such a way to shatter those things. Even people. Now you might think, 
I know, but like it's people. Well, I don't mean you shatter them. I don't mean like you get a chainsaw, cut their legs off, sledgehammer, welt them out. No, that's not what we're talking about. But there are people in your world that you need to let go of. If you're really serious about walking away from the things that keep you from God, that's just how life works. And it mightn't feel good to you that whenever I say those things, but genuinely, I don't deal with your feelings. You worry about your feelings. I am dealing with the truth and facts of Scripture. And there are people in our worlds at times that we need to leave to the side in order to move on into the things of God. The question I want to ask you about this is, who is eyeballing you? Now, what I mean by that is, I still go to a parent-teacher interview, and when I see teachers, I feel like they're looking at me because I'm doing something wrong. No, this is at my age. I walk into school, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Why are they looking at me? I must be doing something wrong. And then they go, Mr. Thompson, he's here to talk about, oh, I'm not doing something wrong. And the reason is because when I was at school, I was always doing something wrong. But that feeling of the eyeballs, I had a teacher at school who, I couldn't remember his name, but I remember this, he had a glass eye. And whenever he was reading something and he'd say to the class, get on with your work, he'd pull out this glass eye, wipe it with a hanky, set it at the desk and say, remember, I'm watching you. <laughs> and honestly, the first time this was brilliant, but after like four years of it, I don't know. I'll know what I'll do with your glass eye. And we try to steal it and everything. Just have to throw it out there. Because um, how cool would it be to have your teacher's glass eye in your pocket? Um, okay. So, but who is eyeballing you? Who's watching you? Because what we read here is that the people of Israel were sinning in the sight or in the eyes of God. God was watching them. But that wasn't who they were interested in. We're also told in Deuteronomy, in the same context, that God is calling his people a treasured possession. And, and you see, this is the perfect example of what we understand as peer pressure. See, peer pressure is this, that it's easy to forget who loves you when you're focused on who is surrounding you. Do you hear it? It's easy to forget who truly loves you when you're focused on who it is that surrounds you. The example of that, the perfect example, is a parent. Now, I'm not talking about a controlling parent or a fear-filled parent or a, you know, one of those parents that just don't want to let you breathe or anything like that. No, it's like, no, but, but if you cross that road by yourself, like you're almost 18, but you might get hit by a car. No, those parents. Um, we're not talking about those. We're talking about parents who have proven themselves to love their motivation is just love. They just love you. And it's amazing how that we can surrender the influence of that parent who loves for a friend who only loves themselves. Do you get it? Because that's peer pressure. And what I've realized is this, that whose eyes you feel are the eyes that you follow. Whoever's eyes you're most conscious of are the eyes that you will follow. And peer pressure isn't a youth thing. It's not an age-specific thing. No, it goes from, like, where are you going to? What do you have? What car do you drive? What house do you have? Where do you work? There's, peer pressure just never changes. It's always there. But it's who do you feel eyeballing you is who you will allow to influence you. See, in the reality here, they didn't seem to care that God could see them. 
No, they sinned in the eyes of God, but that didn't seem to matter. They were more interested than everybody else. Fitting in, getting on with this crowd, getting on with this nation, a wee bit of this, a wee bit of that. It's like, yeah, we'll, we'll do all that stuff. And we forget that God is watching us. And the truth is, it all comes down to trust. See, who do we trust? Do we trust our feelings above God? Do we trust faith above everything? Who do we trust? Because the moment we stop trusting that God wants to give us the best life, abundant life, life to the full, is the moment that we will take our eyes off the person who loves us most for someone who loves themselves more. This is what happens. So how do we deal with it? Well, first of all, you've got to see it for what it is, call sin, sin. You've got to see it. And uh, these guys had to see that. They had to come to a place where they had to recognize. And this morning, you know, as we start this 100 days of prayer, awakening, seeking God to move in our lands, we have to understand and we have to see in our own lives the stuff that we need to deal with. No, we don't look at the person beside us. We don't, you know, the presence of God's grace is an expression of his love, not an acceptance of our sin. We've got to accept that stuff. We've got to deal with that. We've got to see it for what it is. If you're a slobber, you've got to own it. If you're someone who just cuts the feet and back out everybody else, you've got to own it. If you're a gossip, you've got to own it. If you're someone who's just jealous of everybody on the planet and so insecure, you've got to own it. If you're, we've got to own these things. We've got to see it. We've got to own it. And then we've got to smash it. Because that's how God asks the people of God to deal with it. You don't remold it for, you know, like for a rainy day, I'll bring it out and make it into something else. You gotta destroy it. You don't make a deal with sin. I've made deals with sin before. No, it's like, okay, God, I'll never do that again. And then subconsciously, it's like you put it in your pocket and it's like, okay, God, I mean it, never going back there, slip it in. And that is a way of fighting, your, fighting it in your hand again. But if we destroy it, then we never find it. We have to get serious and deal with these realities. The last thing that I want to talk about, and I'm going to bring things to a close, is, is that there's this moment that we've read about where the people of Israel come to God and go, God, we're sorry. We're, like, like, would you rescue us? Would you forgive us? And it's really strange. God goes, no. And, and could you imagine you know, that cold winter's night and, and it's like you've hit winter in your world and winter in your life and you're thinking, well, God will help. God will get us out. And it's like God goes, no. And it's like that slow slam. Whenever I read it, I thought of, you know those people that call at your door? Uh, no, it's like you're got comfy, you're just, you haven't had a night in in ages and the next thing you hear this rap on the door and you know you're not expecting someone. You know what, somebody's going to sell you something and, and I open the door and because I'm a pastor, I try to be very gracious, but in my head I'm going, boom. <laughs> Do you know, in reality I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, SSE, yeah, yeah, we're already with those guys. Oh, are you, but have you? No, no, honestly, we're with you guys. We're really happy with our service. Well, we are also selling tonight. Oh, are you? That's lovely. And, and you're thinking, well, everybody has to make a living, but in reality, you just want to go, whoom. No. 
Okay, we got to own it. We got to own it. Now, if you're a salesman out there, obviously, if you come to my door, but it's like God just goes, boom. No. Sort yourself out. See all those people you've been depending on for the last 18 years? See those cultures and nations and gods and things that you've been letting into your life? Way back to them. Ask them to help you out. I, I find it really like, come on, God. I'm like, God, come on. Like it's like the guys are trying their best there. No, they're trying to work these things out. And God's like, whoom. And you know, there's something about having a revelation of what would it look like if God did remove his hand. See, what I've realized in my life as a Christian is that sometimes whenever I'm not walking as close to God as I should do, it really, I love the fact there's this little blanket in the corner that I can go back to and crawl underneath and God will make everything okay. No, it's like, okay, I'll go this far from God, but I'm aware that there's a wee blanket over here that I can just sort of throw over me and God will clean me up and God will forgive me and God will just make everything good and he'll restore the years the locusts have eaten and do you know and we'll be all just under here and there's something about the comfort of knowing that I can climb back onto this blanket but what would it look like if God removed the blanket so what would it look like if in our little cycles of life no right God I'm honest this time I'm I'm trusting your grace, but I'm, I'm going to like get closer to you. I know it's not about me and it's all about you, but I know that you call me to, to, to live the way that you've called me into and you've put a call in my life and I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to put the disciplines in place so I can become the best at what it is you've asked of me. I'm going to do all of those things. And then, and then we mess up and it's like, God, forgive me. And we'll come back around and God forgives us. and cleans it. But what would happen if in that little cycle, God just went, vroom. No. And even this morning, you may not be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, I know Jesus is there. Like, no, at some stage, what I'm going to do, no, I'm just not ready now. At some stage, I'm going to just give my life to Jesus. At some stage, I'm, I'm going to follow him. At some stage, he can have my life. But see, for now, I'm just quite happy that he's here. No, I can reach down any time and pick him up. What would it look like if God went, no, you can't. No, get your own blanket, clear off. See those people, over to them. What would it look like? How would we feel? And then we read this scripture and it just says, God couldn't cope with their pain. God couldn't cope with their misery. God just couldn't cope with it any longer. And it's like, okay then, come on. And he just brings them in and he brings them close. And he heals their land and he brings peace and he heals their hearts and their lives. And it's in that moment we realize the God that we serve. The God who never leaves us, but the presence of his grace is not an acceptance of our sin. The God who will never slam the door in our faces the God who will never say, go away, I'm not interested today. The God who will never go, I tell you what, you've got yourself in a hole, just dig your way out. In fact, you know, you've made your bed, lie in it. There's never going to be that from our God. Because God 
is long-suffering. He is kind. And he is good. He is loving. And he can bear their misery no longer. What was happening here was that the people of Israel, it was almost like a crank call. Uh, And what I mean by that, I've never done this, of course. And nobody here should ever do it. Children, do not try this at home. But no, when you phone up, Master, there's a fire down here. You need to send like 10 fire engines because there's like the whole block of flats is on fire. And then you and your mates sit outside waiting and all the fire engines coming and go, that's funny. No. No. Sharon's like, what? I, I was born and carried off. Yeah. Ryan's like, oh, yeah. Clarewood, Clarewood, yeah. Yeah. You see, it wasn't a real emergency call. It wasn't a genuine God help us. They had to come to a place where they prepared to say, God, whatever you choose to do, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. They had to come to a place where they were truly sorry, not because of what they could get from God, but because they needed him. And God will never turn away a genuine nine, nine, nine. If you call him up in an emergency and you're genuine, God, restore me. He will never turn you away. But he has a way of bringing us to a place where he wants, us to, he wants us to know that he is so concerned about the sin in our life that he's prepared to keep us in a bit of a place until we work it through, are prepared to surrender it all, compared to smash it, cut it, kill it, so that we can truly come into the life that he has for us. So we're coming into 100 days, 100 days, praying for a great awakening in our souls. Those who have registered, we're meeting at the City Hall uh, from 7.30 onwards on Wednesday evening. Uh, We have booklets for people to grab. We have 24-7 prayer coming up where we need people to fill slots for an hour to pray. Uh, So in this room, I don't have sign-up sheets for you today, but what I'm saying to you is next week, come expecting to fill slots because I genuinely am expecting everybody in this church, if you're a member of this church, if you come to this church regularly, if you're a partner with us in vision and mission, I'm expecting you to fill a slot. That's fair, yes? Don't really ask too much of you. And whenever I go to see wise, mature people like Terry Montgomery, he says to me, Stephen, you hardly ever ask much of people. So Terry, that's the start of it there. But we ask. So we expect everyone to get on board. See, why? Well, there is a nation that is going down. And the only true answer is, is the, are the people of God to understand that we are asleep. And to cry out to God in his mercy and he will hear us and he will come and he will awaken us and revive us. And a revived church is the hope of our nation. 
So whoever's eyes you feel, you follow. You got to own your sin and you got to smash it. But there has to be a genuine emergency call to God. God, we just see everything that's going on. God, we acknowledge that we're part of the problem. But we don't want to be. We want to be part of the solution. God, we, we realize that, God, you have wired your church in such a way that when we are alive and awake, we are unstoppable. God, would you waken my soul? God, would you rise in me? God, would you revive me? Would you restore me to my first love? God, would you allow me to put you above all other things, not because of what you will give me, but simply because of who you are? God, I'm a lousy king of myself. God, I make you king of my life, of my family, and of my home, and of my city, and of this land. Can we stand? Can we pray? So, um, awake. If you haven't got a booklet, there's booklets outside. Um, if you have registered for City Hall and you need a ticket, which you will need to get in, I have tickets here, come and see me in the foyer and I'll give you those. But there's a prayer in these booklets and it's a prayer for awakening. And, and I'd like us all to pray this this morning. An awakening and a prayer for the sake of our people. An awakening and a prayer for the sake of our people. So I'm going to say it and then I want you to shout it back at me. Now you're not shouting it to me, obviously, you're God word. But I want some volume in the room. How would that sound? Yeah? Anybody in the back rows there? Okay. So it goes like this. Lord, we pray for a great awakening in our souls. In our city and in our land. May your people be awakened in prayer for the sake of our nation. We ask you to awaken our souls in confession of sin. And repentance by your spirit and word. into your mission and call. We pray for an awakening in this great city of Belfast. That it would experience widespread revival in the name of Jesus Christ. Through an invasion of the Spirit. As the church is set on fire and fearless followers stand for Christ. We pray for an awakening in this great land of Ireland. North, south, east and west. That all people, even those that we have treated wrongfully as enemies... Even the hardest of hearts 
will experience the compassion and grace of Christ. And all across this land, lives would experience salvation and freedom. That in the name of Christ, demonic will be driven out. And strongholds will be shattered. God, we ask that you would stretch out your hand to heal. That you would perform signs and wonders in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in your mercy, we pray for a great awakening. I want to encourage you as individuals here today. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your moment to pray and ask God to come and awaken your soul. If you're far from him, call on him. A great awakening in our souls, in our city, and in our Hi everyone, thanks for listening in on our Sunday podcasts. Check us out on our Facebook, Instagram at UT Belfast.